Would you please be seated? Father God, as you opened the eyes of the blind man, so we pray now that you would open our inner eyes, that we would see you. Amen. Well, the story is told of the man walking along the river Lark. I have to say, this is a story that Fane Conant told when he was here. Uh, the man was walking along the river Lark, and he found a bottle. He opened it, and out popped the genie. The genie said, I demand a public inquiry to investigate why so many genies get put into bottles. No, he doesn't. That would be silly. <laughs> He says, you've got three wishes. So the man said, I want to live on a tropical island surrounded by palm trees and sand beaches. And pow, he was there. So he said, I want a billion pounds. And the genie said, only a billion. Pow, and he was there. For my third wish, the man said, I would like to be irresistible to women. Pow. He was transformed into a box of chocolates. <laughs> what would you like? What would you really like? Jesus calls the blind man to come to him and asks him, what do you want me to do for you? If you were standing in front of Jesus now and he asked you that question, how would you answer? For some of us, like the blind man, the answer, I guess, would be easy. It would be something that we have dreamed of for years, or it's something that's weighing so heavily on us. I want my daughter to get better. I want a child. I want my husband to be healed. I really want a job, or a different job. I want the pain to go away. I want our marriage back. I want to meet someone who I can share my life with. I want to be rich and I want to be fulfilled. You possibly know the film Bruce Almighty. Bruce becomes God for a few days. At first he thinks it's great having all this power. Uh, and then the prayers come, millions upon millions of requests from people who are broken or crushed or desperate. Bruce solves the problems by clicking on reply all, typing yes, and hitting send. As you can imagine, chaos ensues. We can only concentrate on one person at a time. If we're waiting to see the doctor, we have to wait our turn in a queue because they, he or she, can only see one person at a time. But the thing about God is that he isn't just a human person writ large. God is so big, so beyond our understanding, that he says that he is able to personally concentrate and focus on you and you and you and you all at the same time. He can do it. This story is telling us that if we recognize who Jesus is and call out to him for mercy, and if we persevere in calling to him, when we come to stand in front of him, he really will say to us, 
What would you like me to do for you? First of all, you see, I think we need to recognize who Jesus is. The crowds say to the blind man, and sorry, I should have said this is Luke 18, verses 35 to 43. The crowd say to the blind man, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. That's the ordinary title. It's a bit like saying, you know, Peter from Drinkstone is coming by. Um, But the blind man sees in Jesus of Nazareth something more. He doesn't cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that's significant. The Jews were waiting for the son of David, a descendant of their great king David, who had lived 800 years earlier, who would come as the Messiah who would come to be God's ruler, not just for Israel, but of the world, who would establish God's kingdom of rightness, justice, mercy, peace, and joy. He would, in the words of Isaiah, well, let's look at three references. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18. We're told when Messiah comes in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. Isaiah 35, verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And that reading, first reading we had today, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This blind man, sitting by the roadside, sees far more clearly than many of those who have visual sight. That is his faith. (coughs) He sees that this Jesus of Nazareth is none other than the Son of God, who God promised, Son of David, who God promised would come as Messiah. And so he cries out, Jesus, Son of David, Jesus, messianic king who has come to rule, have mercy on me. So I ask you, who do you think Jesus is? Is he simply Jesus of Nazareth, the founder of the world religion that has lasted 2,000 years, whose teachings we can find in the Bible, but who is now dead? Because if that's the case, then prayer where we ask for things is at its best a sort of positive thinking exercise. I really, really want that so much and I am going to get it. Or at its worst, it's an escapist form of wishful thinking. Or is Jesus more than that? Because if he is in fact the Messiah who God sent into this world, who died and rose again, who is alive, who will one day return, even though that concept probably does blow our minds a bit, if he is the one who has come to establish God's kingdom, where the blind will see and the deaf will hear and the lame will leap and the mute will praise, then crying out to him for something is not wishful thinking 
The blind man who saw Jesus and was cried out to him, cried out that Jesus would have mercy on him. Secondly, we, we need to persist in our prayer. <coughs> you see, the crowd tell the blind man to shut up. He was an embarrassment. He was a social embarrassment. He was certainly a political embarrassment. You see, when you're under occupation and Roman soldiers are just round the corner, the thing you don't do is proclaim that somebody walking past is the Messiah. It's interesting that it's the people who we're told who, and I quotes exactly here, who led the way, who told him to be quiet. And that phrase in Luke and in Mark is very important because the people who led the way were the disciples. No doubt they wanted to protect Jesus to keep him kosher. They also probably wanted to keep Jesus to themselves. So they tell him to be quiet. And those of us who would call ourselves Christians need to be very careful that our desire for correctness, for doing things the right way, for order, or simply our own self-interest, does not end up pushing people away from the living Lord Jesus. But equally, if you do really begin to see who Jesus is, and if you are desperate for him, then please don't be put off by us. And certainly don't be put off by people wearing these. <laughs> On the day of judgment, when we stand in front of him and he says, why didn't you come to me? Uh, and we say, well, your followers told me to shut up. Or they were unfriendly. Or someone who claimed to follow you really hurt me. Or their church services, man, they're just unreal. It won't be any excuse. This blind man will stand up in judgment against you. He had a single focus. He was going to get to Jesus. They tell him to shut up, but he cries out louder. And Jesus hears and orders them to bring the man to him. So please don't be put off. Don't be put off by others and don't be put off if nothing happens immediately. I guess part of the issue is really how seriously do we want to take Jesus? Do we take him sufficiently seriously so that we will persist in calling out to him even if nothing happens at first or if opposition comes? Um, with uh, our, our children, we used to do, uh, it's far less now as, as they're older, but we used to do the month test. You know, if one of them came to us and uh, said, I want this, I want it now, we would sometimes say, hang on a minute, let's see whether in a month's time you still want this. Because usually in a month's time you want that, something else. How desperate, how desperate do we want this? Thirdly, we need to pray for God's kingdom to come. Because that, I think, is what is going on here in this reading. Jesus asks the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Well, should we expect Jesus to give us what we want, especially if we want it that badly? 
And the answer is both no and yes. There are moments when we do see some astonishing answers to prayer, when we get glimpses of the coming kingdom of God. There are wonderful moments when blind people see and deaf people literally hear. But Jesus will not always give us what we want. There have been many blind men and women who have longed to be able to see, who have come to Jesus and who have not been physically healed. There have been many people who have come to Jesus and have begged for the gift of children, for marriages to be restored, for people to be healed, and they have not received what they want. But actually, I think our problem is that we ask too little. What do you really want? What do you really want for yourself and for those who God has put you in relationship with? What do you want for them now? What do you want for them in 10 years' time, in 30 years' time, in 60 years' time, in 200 years' time? What do you really want for yourself? What do you really want for them? May I suggest that what you really want for yourself and for those you love is hope now, an end to death, and a joy that lasts for eternity. The ancient writers spoke about three levels of existence. They spoke about being, they spoke about well-being, and they spoke about eternal well-being. In our prayers for ourselves, we tend to focus on being, Father, help them get better. Or we focus on well-being, I really want that better job or a bigger house or a life partner or for my child to do well at school and university. But we are all going to die. It is all temporary. There would come a point again in the life of this blind man who is healed when his eyesight would fade again and he would die. Of course we should ask Jesus for those things that we most desire at any particular moment. He may or he may not give us what we want. But could I suggest that a better prayer to pray when we stand in front of Jesus and he asks us, what do you want me to do for you, is to say... And you can say this, I want eternal joy. And I would, would you please give me a glimpse, a taster of that eternal joy now. You see, if we really do come to him, to the crucified and risen Jesus, and not to some little God who is the figment of our imagination, then Jesus can and will say yes to that request. He is the Messiah. He has come to establish God's eternal reign of justice, mercy, peace and joy. It cost him everything to do that. It cost him his life. But he gave his life because he longs for you and he longs for us all uh, to be citizens in his kingdom. You see, Paul prays that the Christians in the town of Ephesus will come to know the love of God, will come to be filled with the love of God. But he continues, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, to him be glory. 
The blind man asked to receive his sight. He received his sight. In fact, he was asking for so much more because when he says, Jesus, son of David, restore my sight, he is actually saying, Messiah, do what Messiah is going to do. Open the eyes of the blind. Open the ears of the deaf. He is actually praying, your kingdom come. But if you notice, he receives so much more. He becomes a follower of Jesus. We're told that in verse 43, and he praises God. He receives the gift of joy. You know, those passages in Isaiah which speak of what will happen when Messiah comes, they continue. Isaiah 29, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 35, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isaiah 61 verse 3, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to, uh, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. The Messiah comes to bring praise and joy. Real joy comes actually when we forget ourselves and are lost in the wonder of another. Yes, joy comes when Murray hits that final winning shot. But eternal joy comes when we are lost in wonder of the one who loves us, who died for us, who's conquered death and who, if we come to him, will never let us go. Could I suggest that in your prayers, when you pray tonight or tomorrow, you think of that question which Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? Do mention before him the immediate things, but then think deeper, think more profoundly, and think bigger, because he's also asking, what do you really, really want me to do for you?